John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, would you shine your light into our darkness? And would you open our eyes this morning to see your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the idea that we are not alone in this world and in this universe is a fascinating one. This idea that we are not alone has led people to, as a hobby in some cases, and as a career, surprisingly, in other cases, uh, to pursue discovering and hearing from other life, extraterrestrial life forms, something beyond us. And one movie that captures this is very well is the um, 1997 movie Contact. Uh, the star role played by Jodie Foster. She is an astrophysicist. And, and her attempts are to, by means of satellite uh, and antennas, pick up and receive uh, some sort of communication from out there. And so she is listening and listening. And, and this is interesting because as she goes on day after day and night after night, she's putting in these long grueling hours with these speakers and with these headphones, trying to listen, trying to pick up something, but there's nothing. And there's nothing until one day contact she receives this intelligent rhythmic sound and it brings upon this question from where from who why so many questions and of course the movie begins to unravel some of these questions intriguing to us the fact that we are not alone christians believe that this statement is true we are not 
alone. Intelligent life outside of humanity and outside the animal kingdom exists. And within the first few verses of this gospel, the gospel of John, contact has been made. An intelligent being has in the middle of our silence and darkness come to reveal himself to us, to be a light dawning in our darkness. Not a being that is merely from a different location, but a being that is from an entirely different timeline and dimension. John 1.1 introduces us to a unique being that pre-exists our known time. A being that is called, as this passage opens up in verse 1, as the word. The contact. An intelligent life form who speaks and communicates the word. And in concentrated form, we find that this word is not only supreme because he happens to exist in the presence of God. More importantly, we discover that this word is God. Well, we say 400 years existed between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 400 years of a gap of silence where day after day and night after night, people listened and waited and waited until finally contact. And so many questions for us, contact, but from where and who and why? Intriguing to us. We're not alone. In the first five verses of this gospel, a light has dawned, particularly in Jesus Christ. One theologian, he puts it as he looks at these first five verses, he says, John begins with a bomb. Without warning, there's no warning, there's no explanation. There's just an explosion of a person who is described in terms of speech and communication. This person is the word and the word is revealed to us, not just to be prior to creation, but actually turns out to be the very agent of creation. So if you're with us this morning and, and you, you know almost nothing of Christianity, a good place for you to start would be to understand the Christians. We believe that this Jesus who entered into our space time and history He actually is the creator of space, time, and history. So, this is something good to understand and dwell on, to meditate on, is the fact that we believe Jesus not only entered into our time, but he created time. He created everything that you see, everything that you know and understand is by means of his creation. God is a speaking God who creates out of nothing by merely speaking into existence. This is the sort of power and ability that he has. And this will become important as we're going to go through the gospel of John. We will see that his speaking power has the ability to create, to cause life. And it's an important theme that we'll see throughout the gospel as we make our way from this cradle. And then we begin to get to the cross. You you, you see this God who creates by the power of his word. He alone gives birth to creation by speaking. He gives birth to humanity by speaking. And he brings about our new birth by speaking. This is that which is born of flesh, he says in John 3, is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. This speaking God is the one who causes life. And I say all this because at the very heart of this book is a question about life and living. 
It's the reason for the book. I think many people, they go on uh, trying to understand, wanting to believe Christianity. And they say, well, this is all nice, this idea of Christianity. You know, Jesus coming to bring us grace. I sort of like that idea. I like the idea of forgiveness. I like the idea of of a community. I, I like the idea that, you know, God cares for us. But how do we know he really existed? I mean, I wasn't there. I wasn't there in 30 AD. I didn't see Jesus get up from, from the cross or from the grave. How do we know that this is real? How do we know that this whole book is not essentially just one big long movie? Well, the very end of this book explains to us the reason for the book. The reason we're not dealing with a a, a fictional space novel here is because the very end of this, John chapter 20, verse 30, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe and have life in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's gospel is for everyone who was not there because his gospel takes us there. So that by believing you may have life and stop dying. The reason that this life is brought to us is so that it it becomes very clear. This light has come and dawned on us. We see this in verses 6 through 8 and then 14 through 15. We have this sandwich. John the Baptist is brought up and then he's brought up again. And and the, the, the key piece is John the Baptist becomes a signpost whose role is to point to the light. John says, I'm not the light. I'm, I'm really not the light. It is Jesus. But, but John functions as a, as a little flashlight and he's shining towards the sun to say, my job is to point my flashlight, my light towards the true light, the light, which is Jesus. And so he says, I've come to bear witness. I stand on the witness stand. I'm raising my hand. And the message he proclaims is in regard to the one who speaks above him, but the one who comes before him. This relates to the eternality of Jesus, that he was not created. Though he was born in our timeline, he comes from eternity in the past. And this light that is being revealed to us is the word incarnate. Jesus Christ, who is a spirit. Remember, God is spirit. And from eternity past, he breaks into our time, revealing the very character of God to us. To make contact. An alien being that is so unlike us, for he is perfect in grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And yet he's become like us in the sense that he is human. Truly God separate, other, indifferent, and truly man, very much like us. And we see this clearly in verse 14, where we read in 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I think this side of the cross, it really hits us quite as it should uh, to consider dwelling amongst us, God. The theologians, they call that his eminence. Um, There's transcendence and there's eminence. Transcendence is this idea that God is out there and he's otherly and he's separate and removed. It highlights his sovereignty. So this is what is brought up much with the idea of deism. So a guy like Ben Franklin was a, was a deist. And so God is sort of, he wound up the world like a, like a watchmaker, like a clock. He wound it up and then he is removed and far away. And so this idea of transcendence, then eminence, 
It's the idea that God is close. He's present. He's right here with us. Now, if you push eminence too far, this is where you begin to say, well, God becomes everything. The chairs, God, were God. The cows are God. The Christmas cookie is God. You know, you, you kind of go on and you, you, everything becomes flattened out. But both of these push to their extreme, the deist view, or maybe the pantheistic view that is found in Einstein and Buddhism and modern paganism, neo-paganism, you, 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 you end up in both places, really. If God is so removed and he's so out there that you can never know him, or if he's basically everything, well, then you never really have a being you can truly know. It ends up with you not really living, not really having life. So, what's then the biblical picture? The picture here that John is arguing to us, he wants us to see that man was created to dwell with God, to be in his presence, not the just the transcendent God who's powerful and out there, but the one who is here amongst us. This is why our Bibles open up with this. If you've spent any time reading Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you see a God who wants to have a relationship with mankind. And so, he creates man. He creates the world. He creates woman and man. It is good. It is very good. And this relationship, this time that he spends enjoying his time with us and us with him, but God's character is brought into question. And in unbelief, Adam and Eve take and eat. And the relationship is severed. So that was what was once good is now not good. Mankind has become rebels. You and I each in our own way. Rebels. Sin. Separating us from God. It means that a good God cannot dwell with sinful man. And so then we come to a way that this can be remedied. It is through the uh, first, the, the tabernacle, and then later it's through the, the temple. This mediating presence between God and man. And we see that um, God speaks about it in Exodus 25, first about this tabernacling, this camping, this tenting with us. It comes from this word skanao, which means to tent, to dwell with, to camp with us. And God says, let them, meaning man, make a sanctuary that I may skanao, that I may dwell with them and be in their midst. And, and then we're called to worship, to sacrifice. We have bulls and lambs dying in our place. We have priests who minister there. And we see that the people are to believe God, to trust in him. And though their enemies might be many, they are really alive with God right there. And we come to the, the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, where we see the glory of the Lord shows up in the, the, the temple there, and the uh, glory of the Lord is so intense that the, the priest can't minister. They are overwhelmed because God has come to skanao, to dwell, to tent with his people. The only problem, the only hitch is, it was very impersonal. It was veiled. God's there, but there's a wall that separates us and God at this moment. And it remained that way until Advent, until Jesus Christ makes contact. John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt. You hear that word? Dwelt, tabernacled, skanaod, tented with us in Jesus Christ. And so then he becomes the true tabernacle. 
the place where the God get to uh, the people get to experience God face to face. Philip says to to Jesus, "Hey Jesus, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us." And and in this amazing scene, uh, Jesus turns to Philip and basically says, "Boo, <laughs> I'm right here. You you see me? You see the Father. I am the I, I am the Father of one." And then we see also with. With Jesus, that the veil becomes ripped. Hebrews says that by the new and living way that he opened up through, through uh, the curtain, that is through his flesh, so that now we have unhindered access to God. We find that he is our great high priest. He's our final sacrifice. He is the one to be worshiped. The, even the pagan magi, they come in the opening scenes of the gospels to come and worship this, this one. Because God has come and camped among us. He tented in Jesus' coming. He tabernacled amongst us. And if rebels are going to come in contact with the God who created them, they must enter the temple, the very place where God dwells, Jesus Christ clothed in human flesh. And this is why it is that God didn't just come down as spirit, but as flesh, so that he would trade your failing place so that you would continue to live rather than to die so that you could take his righteousness upon you and really live. Do you believe this? Christmas is telling you, you could never make it to God on your own. God had to come down to dwell with you. And this light that has come to us and dwells amongst us is not a light that every, this is not a light that everybody's going to welcome. Oh, I wish it were so. But it's not, for this is a light that divides. This is a dividing light, and we see this on, in verses 9 through 13. This light that divides, let me pick up at 9 through 11 first, to see that this is the true light which gives light to everyone. It was coming, he was coming to the world, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And then we see this. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Well, in verse 9 there, we have our Christmas verse. This is Christ's incarnation. Christ come into the world. And it's highlighted here again into a world in which he created. He is the agent of creation. And it is clear here in John. It's also clear in Colossians chapter 1. And this, of course, briefly refers us back to verse 3, where we read earlier that all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And we see that with this light that shines to us now, our hero becomes as a character that all of heaven and earth have been waiting for, the arrival of the Savior. It is as though in this moment that God has been authoring this grand tale. He's been writing history as it were. And then he sees us in distress and knowing that we are completely lost without him. He writes his own character into the story. And as he writes his own character into the story, he's a light that comes and some embrace, but not all. It's amazing to me that not all would welcome him. Sadly, some will not receive him. We see that there again in verse 11. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But there's something important to catch. But to all who did receive him, verse 12, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but of the will of, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
I think there's nothing new here that we're reading. We've seen this elsewhere. Prior to Christ, Israel had hardened their hearts against God. Isaiah 65, we read, the Lord says, I spread out my hands all day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continuously. So you see God's stance of loving open arms saying, come to me. Why would you die? Why would you perish? And yet to his own face, they provoke him. This theme we'll see, this will also too be carried out through the gospel of John. We'll see this again and again. His own people reject him. But thanks be to God, this is not the story for all. As as witnessed by many of you here today, you have welcomed and you have received Jesus Christ. And some of you will note down in your study Bibles here where it reads, received him. What do we mean by this idea of received him? It says, received him implies not merely intellectual agreement with some facts about Jesus, but also welcoming and submitting to him in personal relationship. Believed in implies personal trust. And this is key. This is so key for you. As Christians, it's not just about a mental assent that, oh, I believe Jesus died on the cross. The demons believe this. So what is it that's different about us who are the children of God? We welcome him. We receive him. We trust him. We love him because he is our good God and he is our father and we are his children. We become heirs of the promise. Where, you know, here we did not become children by physical birth. That's not how it comes about, but by a spiritual birth that comes from God. We will in due time, we're going to come to see that very clearly in John chapter three. But amazing to us here is the right to be God's child doesn't come about through legal paperwork. So it doesn't come about by some sort of immigration process by, for you to get in. One does not need to make themselves more cute at the adoption agency, nor worthy of adoption. No, this is not how it comes about. It is not as though God comes to the adoption center and says, well, let me pick the best, the brightest, the cutest here. No. The good news is that our adoption comes through belief by receiving Jesus Christ. This is all that it takes. And so if you're with us here this morning and you have yet to receive him this morning, you can, from where you sit now, call out to Christ to receive him, to say, I welcome you, Lord. I want you. I desire your salvation. You can turn from darkness to light right here this morning. And friend, he is calling you. He is calling each of you here this morning to turn from your sin, which enslaves you, and to trust in Christ receiving him this morning as your savior. And as you come to him, you and I find he is full of grace and full of truth. It doesn't just say here in the text that Jesus has grace and truth. That's true. He doesn't just have it. He's full of these things. We see this in verses 14 and 15. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And so we find then a light full of grace and truth. Verse 16, again, we see here from from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. 
Now, typically, we, we you may have heard of this spoken in terms of stacking, stacking grace upon grace. In other words, the, the posture of God is you need grace, but you need more grace. So, I'm just amplifying and I'm, I'm giving you lots and lots and lots of grace. Um, you know, you, you need uh, this grace who's come from Christ and you might view it like an ocean coming upon you so that like wave after wave after wave of grace is hitting the shore of your life. Um, and this is true. I, I think that's very true, but th- that's not what the passage says. It's not what it means. Here, it would be better translated as grace in place of or instead of grace. I think our English Bibles are, it it obscures it just a little bit by saying grace upon grace. But this is a grace truly that replaces another grace. So, when Christ comes, we are celebrating in the Advent season, we are celebrating a particular grace that comes in Christ that in his fullness replaces the old grace. Which old grace? Ah, well, after our time in Galatians last week, we were looking at the law of Moses. And here in John, we see that the old law is being eclipsed by the newness of Christ coming. So that by his appearing and light shining in our darkness, a new grace has come. Uh, Remember, we were looking at Psalm 19. We saw that the law is not bad. The law is good. We saw that two weeks ago. It was good and it functioned as a form of grace. It was revealing God's character. It called us to walk in a particular manner to maintain covenant with our creator. But in Christ, a new covenant has come and a new grace that has eclipsed the old grace has come. And this grace in Christ is the one that comes to us instead of an old grace. This grace, which is greater and better It's a grace upon or on top of or in place of an old grace. You say, Thomas, come on. How do you know that when John says grace upon grace, that the law was in view? You know, I liked your first illustration a little bit better about waves of wave after wave of grace. I think that resonates with me more. Why is it that that what makes you think that Moses is really in view here at all? Well, it's simple. You just keep reading. Verse 16, he says, for from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. Do you see that? When the law came through Moses, it was grace to the people to walk in covenant with God. But due to sin, what was supposed to bring life brought death. And for us, no one can live out the Mosaic law. But thanks be to God, the new grace in place of the old one has come. For the new is far, far, far better than the old, because we've all been lawbreakers, covenant breakers, and God cannot dwell with you except that you should die the death that you deserve and pay the penalty for your sin, and you can't. And so, his perfect life has been in place of your messed up life, and that is good news to us this morning. That's why regardless of what is under the tree next week, or who sits with you around the tree, you can experience the grace, the truth, the dwelling of God, and the glory of God, the word. Because on the cross, he looked forward and said, Father, forgive them for their sin. In Christ, we can know God himself. He has made him known.
Now, when John says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side, what, he, what he's implying is until up until this point. Uh, but then he says, he has made him known, meaning Christ has made him known to us. Now, you Bible nerds uh, who are interested in this, you, you, we talk about exegeting scripture. Uh, that is understanding, explaining, and making clear what the scripture is saying. So we talk about uh, revealing, making known. Um, that is to exegete something. Um, that same root word of exegesis is that word here to make him known. Jesus has exegeted the father to us to make the father known so that finally in Jesus contact, we would have an understanding of this other being. Now, I opened up this morning with the movie Contact from 1997, but there's another uh, another movie that I think is worth a watch for you. Maybe you should put this on the watch list, which is a movie from 2016 entitled Arrival. And again, with this movie, contact is made. Alien beings have arrived. Hence, the name is Arrival. But in this movie, the aliens come in peace. They've actually come to bring a form of salvation to mankind. There is a, a word that is used in it. There's communication. And the entire movie bends around a woman named Lois, who's a linguist. And she quickly begins to learn this language. And she's trying to pick up what they are saying. And their words that they use are a circle. And the circle that they paint with this ink, it has these splotches. And depending upon how the splotches are, they, they bring together several things in, in a particular meaning. And so she very quickly gets to work trying to figure out what each of these circles mean as she's making contact with these beings who have arrived. And as she's picking this up, she's solving the mystery of why have they come? Why is it that they have come and arrived? And, and, and again, later it becomes clear that they're trying to save themselves and humanity. But there's also another mystery that comes along. With her ability to understand the language, her own reality begins to shift, where she begins to experience time without chronology. She begins to have these visions. And she sees eventually that she's to have a daughter. And she sees her daughter running in the beautiful flower fields and alive and full of life. And then she comes to see that her daughter has died and it brings this great sorrow and remorse. And then she sees that this husband that she's to have in the future, that they end up separated because of the pain of the loss of this daughter. And so there's this conundrum with her seeing this in the future. Will I go through with the events as they're to unfold, which will bring about this amazingly hard, difficult pain but will also at the same time bring about this amazing love and joy that she would have. And so I wonder, what would you do? If you were going to have a child and you knew it and lose it, would you go through the pain and the heartache? Knowing the love and the joy that you would have for that child and knowing at the same time that you would lose them. And yet perceiving that the joy somehow is greater than the pain, would you still proceed forward? Well, in Christ, we have one who is outside of time, who is able to see it all, able to know the hurt and the pain and the suffering and the ridicule and the afflictions. Yet, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. 
Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we've been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He who comes from outside of our time and created our time made contact. And out of the silence and the darkness, a light has shone, a word has been spoken, the arrival of Christ has come, the advent, a grace upon an older grace has come, and we behold him and we receive not just from him the Father, but we also become the children of God. For God has revealed himself as the word clothed in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we don't want to merely be those who know about you. We desire to be those who know you. And we are grateful for in Christ, we truly do know you. We experience your presence amongst us. And through your spirit, we become alive in Jesus. And so we pray even this morning as we partake in communion here, that you would make yourself known in our midst, that we would sense your presence here, having arrived and made contact with us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.